Hey, Bridgetown, love and joy and peace to all of you. I'm John Mark Comer here with the Bridgetown Daily for Wednesday, April 1st. And no, that is not a joke. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about monasticism. Let me give you a very brief church history lesson, just nerd out on you. In the fourth century, when the way of Jesus was legalized in the Roman Empire, for the first time in church history, followers of Jesus were facing not the danger of martyrdom, as in the first three centuries, but the danger of things like compromise and apathy and what C.S. Lewis called a contented worldliness. And there was a move of the spirit all across the Mediterranean for men and women to kind of go out of the city and into the desert and give their entire life over to prayer. It started with the desert fathers and mothers in Egypt and North Africa, then moved up to Syria and then all the way over by the end in Celtic Britain with St. Patrick in Ireland. The gospel came to Ireland, this is interesting, in the fourth century after the persecutions were over. And believe it or not, this is hard for me to imagine, Irish followers of Jesus were sad they could not become what they called red martyrs, meaning they could not bleed and die for Jesus. That's very hard for me as a Portlander to imagine. So they became what they called green martyrs. They would go off into a hermitage in the forest and spend years or decades in prayer. They would die so to speak, to a normal life and marriage and family in order to live for Jesus in prayer. And monastic life was always the minority from Ireland to St. Benedict and, you know, north of Italy to North Africa. It was always for the minority, not the majority of followers of Jesus in the church. But it played a key role in the church for well over a thousand years until the Reformation, where Martin Luther, who was a former monk, and his wife, Katharina von Bora, who was a former nun, were so turned off by the corruption in the monastic order by the kind of 16th century that they, in all honesty, threw out the baby with the bathwater. As a result, very few followers of Jesus from the Protestant vein of the church, like myself, have any kind of vision for a monastic life. But I think it's interesting that in the 4th, 5th, and 6th century, in a time of compromise and chaos with the legalization of the way of Jesus on one hand and then the decline of the Roman Empire on the other, the move of the Spirit was toward a monastic order. And many have said that we are living in a very similar time to the decline of the Roman Empire. Whether that's true or not, I'm not a historian, I don't know. But we are for sure living in a time of widespread compromise and the threat of chaos. What if the Spirit is moving people now in a similar way to what he did back then toward a deeper life of quiet prayer and committed community? Right now, due to shelter in place, many of us are living a kind of quasi-monastic life, whether we want to or not, with time alone, in particular if you live alone or in a studio apartment, or just with your spouse or partner or a few family members with a kind of asceticism. Many of us have very little money right now or don't have the opportunity to go out and enjoy hedonism or food or drink or whatever. Here's an idea. What if we came out of shelter in place, whether that's in a few weeks or a few months, as a kind of pseudo-monastics, as people more devoted than ever before to quiet prayer and the reading of scripture 
and early mornings and late nights just sitting with God and what St. John of the Cross called silent love or what Jesus long before him just called abiding. What if this shutdown was the beginning of a neo-monastic order in the church at large? Now, for that to happen, and I'm, I nerd out on you, but that's really exciting to me, that would require us to make peace with the quiet, with isolation or time alone, or with being cooped up with our kids or our partner. And it would require that we, in the language of James chapter 1, let perseverance finish its work, meaning let the troubles that we're in now do a deep work of formation in our soul. There's a famous saying from the monastic world from Abba Moses, who was one of the desert fathers in Egypt, so early on kind of leader in the monastic movement. He said once to a young monk who came to him for spiritual direction, go into your cell and it will teach you everything you need to know. Go into your cell and it will teach you everything you need to know. Now, this was the first of a very long line of desert fathers and mothers who basically said the same thing. Stay in your cell, which was kind of like a private room for a monk or a nun to pray in, and it will teach you everything you need to know. Over a thousand years later in the 14th century, the German spiritual master Thomas Kempis in The Imitation of Christ, what some consider the most read book of the Christian spirituality outside the Bible, he famously wrote, quote, every time you leave your cell, you come back less a person. Now, what could this monastic saying possibly mean for you and I? I'm not a monk. You likely are not a nun. I don't live in a monastery. I visit one every month or two, uh, but I don't live in one. I live at home with my family. Well, their advice is for monks and nuns, not for all followers of Jesus everywhere. But I think there is a wisdom in it for you and for me. To stay in your cell is to stay in the quiet and let God do a deep work in you through your time waiting. It's to stay faithful to your discipline of prayer. Your home or apartment may feel like a cell right now. You're all alone in a kind of solitary confinement or the opposite problem. You have a two-year-old and a seven-year-old and you're pregnant and you're trying to juggle child rearing and work and life and X number of square feet and it feels like a prison sentence. Or like my kids right now, you're just feeling cooped up and a little stir crazy. The advice of Abba Moses and the desert fathers and mothers is stay inside your cell and it will teach you everything you need to know. Ronald Rollheiser, one of my favorite Catholic writers, no, my favorite Catholic writer, full stop, writing about this iconic line interprets the monk's cell for the rest of us to be our home or our marriage or the nexus of relationships we live in or our work and our calling and the burdens that each of us has to bear. We each have our monastic cell, our calling before God. He writes this, be attentive to your legitimate responsibilities, to your duties of state, do cheerfully and faithfully what duty asks of you, and that will teach you what you need to know to come to God. Fidelity to the demands of your life can be a deep form of prayer. 
Fidelity demands that you sweat blood sometimes. Don't leave your commitments just because they are difficult or the grass seems greener on the other side. And especially there is the principle, don't be unfaithful. Fidelity to what God has called you to is the ultimate virtue. The one who perseveres to the end will be saved. All that to say, stay in your cell, my friends. <laughs> stay faithful. All I mean by that is stay faithful to the discipline of morning prayer, to quiet, to scripture, and to your commitments, even if they are very loud commitments of parenting a three-year-old, or in my case, a teenager who in the sh shutdown is learning to play the drums. I love you, Jude, but pray for me, everybody. Give your full self to God's call on your life in this season. Don't, please hear me, don't escape into the internet or social media or pornography or entertainment or fantasy. Stay with God in reality. Stay in prayer. Stay in the scriptures. Stay in your disciplines. And when we reemerge to normal life, and God willing, we will, and not that long, my prayer is that we don't just come back, but that we come back transformed as kind of pseudo-wannabe monks and nuns, even if we have a spouse or a family or a job or a vocation, as quasi-monastics of people of order in a culture of chaos, of people of disciplined prayer and radical discipleship to Jesus in a time of compromise and complicity. So may God set before you grace for whatever is ahead. I invite you just to take a deep breath, to plant your feet on the ground, to feel God hold you up, to remember that your energy source for your day ahead, for the cell that you are in, for the calling of God over you in this season, your energy source is not hype, it's not it's, it's not inspiration even, it's not willpower, it's not white knuckle. Your energy source is life in the spirit of God. May you draw from that deep well of energy and refreshment and vitality that is prayer, that is abiding, that is connection to the Trinitarian community through Jesus. And may God power you and give you energy or in the language of the New Testament, grace for what he has set before you to do today with joy, with an arch in your back and a smile on your face and a levity of spirit because you're living in the kingdom of God with Jesus. To close this week, we're ending our Bridgetown dailies with a benediction from Clement of Rome that he would pray during the Black Death, which was far worse than anything we're facing right now from the fourth century. I just wanna make his prayer for the church my prayer for you as we end. We ask you, Master, be our helper and defender. Rescue those of our number in distress. Raise up the fallen. Assist the needy. Heal the sick. Turn back those of your people who stray. Feed the hungry. Release our captives. Revive the weak. Encourage those who lose heart. Let all the nations realize that you are the only God, that Jesus Christ is your son, and that we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. 
Amen. And love to all of you.